2: Turn, up your, Turn volume. up your volume, because you're about to listen to the Sick, Podcast. the Sick Podcast, with Tony Maradero.
3: 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute, and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston four, Montreal, three. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into the air, back
4: to LeFleur.
2: The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. You
4: know I, you're in the fall. Oh.
2: Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoins. On lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est tout. Et ce sera la victoire des
0: Canadiens. Tenu pour les Canadiens. Le match troisième de l'histoire. You found the dogs, John. You found the dogs.
3: He found the Ducks! And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from
5: the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup!
2: Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Bita Embrace your true nature. And playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's gonna be sick.
3: Marinero the sick podcast on this Wednesday, November 1st. And it is two minutes past 10 o'clock right here, and you're watching live on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Twitter. Thanks, everyone, for watching. We go weeknights at 10 p.m., and usually on Wednesday nights, our regular collaborator is Craig Button of TSN. But I want to remind you that when the Montreal Canadiens played on Monday night versus the uh, Vegas Golden Knights, that Eric Engels, who's our regular collaborator on Monday nights, unfortunately wasn't with us because, of course, he had to work and we didn't bring you the podcast anyway because it was a 10 o'clock start and we talked about that. Uh, So, you know what? Uh, Eric is going to be with us tonight. And Craig Button is going to be with us. And I think Eric's already logged on. Craig Button is not on yet. It'll give me an opportunity to give a shout out to Energy Transportation Group, a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different. Also, a shout out to Playground. Over 600 machines, poker tournaments, and playground casino games, daily promotions, and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else is what I tell everyone. Located just over the Mersey Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal, Playground, and in Quebec, and a winner of a dozen international awards, La TV offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. Embrace your true nature, La Bitta at TV. Without further ado, let's bring Eric on. And when Craig joins us, he joins us. How you doing, my man? I'm good, Tony. How are you? Very, very, very good. Are you uh, still in Vegas? You got my my amateur setup here in Arizona. <laughs> oh, oh, you're in Arizona already? Okay, yeah. Where the Canadians play, of course, tomorrow night versus the Coyotes. Um, they practiced where in Vegas today, right before? Um, oh, no, in Arizona. In Arizona. Yeah. Okay. So when did they leave Vegas exactly, or when did you leave Vegas? Uh, yesterday. Uh, you left. Uh, you left uh, yesterday. Okay. All right. We all left
6: yesterday, and all the Canadians were at the Arizona Diamondbacks game yesterday.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. That's before, all right, not that's all right. of them.
6: There was a couple of them that weren't there, but over 20 members of the team and the training staff. We're sitting together at the baseball game, and oh
3: yeah, that's pretty cool. Got yeah. a bit of a lemon in
6: terms of a baseball game, but yeah, we'll see what happens tonight.
3: I saw the images on social media, as a matter of fact. So you're absolutely right about that. All right, okay. So uh, you and Mister Button at one point were hanging out together today, earlier today, were you not?
6: Well, we were both at the Canadians' practice, and uh, for people who don't know, everybody in the media, whether we work for this person or that person, I think we all hang out. We all have a pretty good relationship. Uh, most of the guys that I'm on the beat with in Montreal, I've been on the beat with for. This is my 16th season, and uh, I can't say that every single person is there, but uh, that has been there for the for, for the entire time that I've been there. But a lot of people have been there since before I've been there. And Craig has been doing Montreal Canadiens broadcasts uh, ever since uh, you know their their network took over the regional broadcasts. So. You know, We all have a pretty good mutual respect thing going on and uh, consider them all friends.
3: All right, okay. But what, uh, what I think is pretty cool here, and it hasn't happened yet because we're uh, trying to get a hold of Craig, uh, but once we do get a hold of Craig, if it happens, if it happens, it'll be something pretty cool uh, that we'll have uh, two premier members of the media from two very big networks that you normally wouldn't hear or see at the same time that you will be able to hear and see at the same time at the SIG podcast. Once again, we're trying to make that happen. I'm going to take a look at my phone to see if there's been uh, uh, a message from Craig because, um, you know, he has not logged on yet. Um, okay. Uh, no, I don't have anything yet, uh, but I'm sure we will pretty soon. All right. Okay. So why don't we I'm sure do. without him. uh you him? Uh, you wrote today
6: uh about uh, josh anderson uh did you not i wrote about that whole line yeah. i wrote about josh anderson alex newick and Uri Slavkovsky because the canadians are five two and two and they've gotten great goaltending and they've gotten reliable defense and they've gotten a bit of varied scoring throughout the lineup but they're not getting anything from that line and i think their chances have been there i think their last three games there have been a couple but you know all three of them have kind of been searching for it a little bit and they need to nip that in the bud right now like it's it this is this team is not going to continue to succeed without that line starting to go so i think all three of them know it they spent time with marty doing video today and the main message there was balance each other out on the ice and marty uses that word a lot i don't know if everybody really understands what he's talking about i think he likes in an ideal world for if you consider like the five side of a die and that image, that's basically what you want to see in terms of balance on the ice. But in order to achieve that in all three zones, you have to kind of fill in the holes that are there based on how the defense is set up. And it means you have to read how your other four players are if you're an individual on the ice, uh, all the four guys on your team, how they're gonna line up so that you put yourself in the proper position. It means you know, stretching yourself out a little bit to make sure you're in balance and sometimes bringing it a little closer together to make sure you're in balance. But the main point is getting to the right spot at the right time. And that means varying your speed. It means if, you know, maybe Josh Anderson wants to be the first four checker all the time and the guy who's getting to the net first. But if the situation doesn't call for him to be that because he's second, you know, skating up the ice, he has to fill a position that gives the first four checker uh, an option or gives once the first four checker goes in and misses that he's in position to take advantage of the second four checker. So I think that's a little bit of what we're talking about, what Marty St. Louis is always talking about with balance. And I think he went through a pretty extensive video session with those guys today to make sure that they get the concept and are applying it as soon as tomorrow.
4: Without further ado, let's say hello to Craig Button. Craig, how are you? I am good, Tony. Sorry. It, uh, I was struggling getting my sign in going so I apologize for being No no
3: you don't have to apologize Craig because uh, you know we, we would have Yeah we will uh, we uh, we would wait uh, an infinite amount of time to talk to you. <laughs> hey by the way, I just got off a podcast that was done in French, La Poche Bleue belonging to Maxime Lapierre and Guillaume Latandresse and I was on a on a panel with Jean-Charles Lejoie, and uh, Le Baron Alain Chantelois, and one man who said, say hello to Craig Button. I think he's a great hockey man. And you know who that would be who
4: said that? Was it Sergio? It was Jean Perron. Oh, I love Jean. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. so Jean Perron uh, sends his uh, his best regards, uh, Craig.
4: Well, I send them right back to him.
3: Fantastic.
4: Well, and uh, Eric, uh, they were playing in the old. I forget what league it was. But Jean was coaching in San Francisco, and his assistant coach was Rod Langley. Well, Bob Gainey and I went in there to uh, see Jean and Rod, and uh, let me put it this way: it was a. They were playing in the old Cow Palace, and like and. Let me try, when I tell you, Cow Palace. Understand that it was aptly named. It was Cowbell, and then. We went out and had such a wonderful time after Jean and Bob talking about the, you know the Stanley Cup in 1986. And certainly, uh, Rod had a lot of Rod was, had a lot of ties with my father after he got traded to Washington. I, I, I just remember just such a wonderful, wonderful evening, you know, and regaling hearing, hearing them regale stories about uh, you know winning and playing together and everything that went with it. So uh, it's always always a pleasure to run in. Uh, to those people it's always nice to hear from them
3: Uh, it's fantastic Craig before you join me I was saying to Eric you know it's not very often that you're going to have two elite members of the media two great hockey people (laughs) like yourselves uh, who work for two different networks two very big networks on at the same time so I feel privileged to tell you the truth that we're able to bring this together tonight on the sick podcast and it, it was um uh, you know, I mentioned that you're a regular collaborator on Wednesdays and Eric's a regular collaborator on Mondays. But, of course, on Monday, the Canadians played. We didn't have a podcast. And today I was talking with both of you and Craig gave me a call at one point and says, yeah, I'm here with the, the rink with Eric. And why don't we all three of us go on at the same time? And I said, well, if you'd like that, sure. And he said, it's your show, Tony. I said, that sounds like a great idea to me. Let's do it.
4: So we're doing it. Craig. So let me just finish here. Uh, f- full credit it was Eric's idea yeah and you know, talked nice. about it and I said hey sounds good to me I'm, I'm good with it Eric said he's good with it so yeah. let's go I mean yeah, let's it's go. a sick podcast with Tony Marinero. it's,
3: it's a great and you know what idea. we
4: have two people here that follow the Canadians and bottom line is there's uh, you know, there's a lot of respect uh, that, that I have for Eric, and certainly, you know, the insights that he brings to, to not only his everyday work with Sportsnet, but also to, to everything he touches. So, to be part of it is is a, is a real honor for me as well.
3: Nice, uh, nice touch by you, Craig. A lot of class as usual. All right, okay. Um, Eric today wrote about the new hook Anderson, Slavkovsky line that they need to get going. And Marty St. Louis met with them, and a lot of talk was about balance so that they could start balancing each other. I'm going to say something. I have no doubt in my mind, it's very early on in the season, by the way, that Alex Newhook can play center. I am starting to ask myself if he's not a better winger than he is a centerman. Um, He's very north-south. He's got a tremendous amount of speed. I think his, uh, he's most dangerous when, you know, the uh, transition offense, defense, when the Canadians counter. Um, we know that he's struggling in the faceoff circle. Uh, he's got the lowest percentage on the team, with Monaghan at 61 and Evans at 53 and Suzuki at 52 and Newhook at 38. Craig, am I off by saying that right now I think he's a better winger than he is a
6: centerman.
4: Uh, well, you, you, what I think you have to keep in in mind is is that, you know, in Colorado he, he he was essentially a winger when when he had a lot of his success. So he he moves from you know a, a a prospect into a player. I mean, he was a winger on a Stanley Cup winning team, and you know that's where he found himself. So now to move back into the middle of the ice, there's some opportunity for him to, to to have more open ice, to have more free ice. But there's also some learning parts of it too. And Eric, you, you know, you were there and Marty St. Louis talked about the other word he used to, you know, y- y- there's got to be a fluidity in, 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 in where you're playing the game and seeing what's unfolding in front of you. And I think that that's part of the process for Alex. But Alex was a very gifted center in the BC Junior League. He was a very gifted center uh, at Boston College. And I think, Maybe right today, you might say that he might be a better winger. But then my question comes, well, who's going to play center there then? Because they don't have a better option to play center on that line, in my view. So despite some of the growing pains that Alex might be experiencing right now, and by extension, the Montreal Canadiens, I, I, I don't think I don't see a better option.
6: Yeah, and I, I don't really see major growing pains there. And you know what, Tony? You just talked about how you think he's best in counterattacking and on the rush and I mean, he's going to have a better opportunity to do that from the middle of the ice and at the center position. Uh, as far as face-offs concerned, yes, is it concerning that he's at 38% and over his career is hovering around 40 or whatever it is, sure. I think he takes the least amount of face-offs on the team, so it's a little less concerning. And putting him up against the other three guys who are doing quite well, obviously he's going to be behind the pack, uh, just as probably Kirby Doc would have been if he had remained healthy. One solution here, and and even though I think he is a better centerman than he will be a winger, um, he could be a better top-line winger than he is a second-line center with the guys he's currently playing with. And I think we might see that soon because you have Christian Dvorak, who is healthy and ready to return and is one game away from being released from long-term IR and being activated to be able to return, and I think we will see him return. On Saturday in St. Louis. And when that happens, I think you could move Sean Monahan up. I don't think you would lose much of the dynamic that you see between Monahan, Gallagher, and Pearson. And if you're able to balance things out that way and put Newark in a position where he's going to be getting a few more offensive touches than he's been getting on the line he's playing with, that could happen. The other thing that could happen is him, Anderson, and Slavkovsky, who were the topic of conversation today uh could end up becoming the topic of conversation tomorrow against the coyotes because when you walk into the locker room and you're the press and you start asking those guys questions about the fact that they haven't scored and this and that and they say well you know i hadn't really been thinking about it that much the team is winning obviously it's you know it, we're in a slump we got to get things going but the minute it starts to become front of mind kind of topic with the media it could turn very quickly let's put it that way yeah um
3: Eric I'm gonna go back with you on this one then I'm gonna to go to Eric and that is everyone played pretty well on on you know on Monday night versus Vegas I mean Marty San Luis says the best game that his team has played since he's since he's been the coach of this team um, let's go back the game before that I was at that game versus when it Where do you think that line struggled the most? Because I have a take on this, but I'd like to hear your take before I give you mine, and then we'll discuss.
6: Are you asking Craig or me? No, I'm asking you. Yeah, I I, I think they had a hard time transitioning the puck up the ice. Um, But that's two games ago. My memory might not be as targeted as what you're looking for here. I'll I'll tell you what I'm looking for,
3: if I can. I'll tell you what I'm looking for. They start the second period. Marty St. Louis starts the second period with that line. Alex Newhook loses the faceoff. They lose possession of the puck. They don't get it back. Winnipeg scores a goal. Usually, you, not always, but usually, when you put a line out there to start a period, you're going to put a line that gives you the best opportunity to win the drawn game possession of the puck. Usually, when that line gets scored on, if they do, you change lines up and you come back with something else. He kept them on the ice. New Hook lost the next draw. They never gained possession of the puck back again. And they gave up another goal, two quick goals like that. And so, and I don't want to put this all on New Hook, but him losing, I think at one point, I think at one point after two periods of play, I think he was 10% in the dot on Saturday. And to St. Louis' credit, in overtime, he had a defensive zone faceoff, and I don't know if the defenseman was Jordan Harris or not, but he had Josh Anderson, and he had
6: Jake Evans. He did it twice in overtime with Jake yeah. Evans, and then Evans won the draw, hook and, then New hook, the and then Newhook, and then Newhook came on the ice. Yeah. The one thing I'll say before I leave it to Craig here yeah. is that um, Alex Newhook may be challenged in the faceoff circle, but he's definitely going to be challenged against Adam Lowry. Because <laughs> that guy's a beast in the face-off circle, and he was beating up on a few of the Canadians throughout that night.
3: Craig, your thoughts on why? And I think face-off percentage is a big part of it, in my opinion. But your thoughts on why that line is struggling to put up points?
4: Well, one, the, the, I, I just want to say something, you know, following Eric too about Adam Lyon. Yeah. The Winnipeg Jets are a hard team to transition against now. Because the additions, I mean, Velarde's hurt right now. But the additions they've made, you know, with Velarde, Kapari, and and uh, and Ayatthala, they're bigger and harder to play against. They're not easy to transition the puck against anymore. And, you know, so, you know, like learning, like, you know, from your position of center as you're trying to learn, and you're going up against Lowry, you're going up against Shifley, and Namesnikov's a real crafty center, you know, you, you, you These are all learning opportunities, and 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 the one thing I love about Marty St. Louis, he, he, he did it the other night with Slavkovsky. He put him on the power play. Put him. He's trying to get Slavkovsky a little feel with the puck, a little feel with less pressure on him and everything. Right? He, is he ideal to be on the on the half wall with the puck? Not in my view, but I can see what Marty's trying to do with it. Now, when we talk about the faceoffs, dot, uh, you know, like I don't get fussed by it. I, Marty talked today too about you know defense starts the minute you lose the puck it doesn't start when you're in the defensive zone so the minute they lose the puck they want to be in a in a in, in a in a defensive mode of like how are we going to get the puck back so that's the same thing when you lose a faceoff and so I don't think that faceoffs we look at percentages and we 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 can see what they say you won it you didn't win it sometimes you know the the, the faceoffs are one. Not so much by the guy at, sen- at playing the center ice position, but by somebody jumping into the play and winning a loose puck off of a, of a tied draw. And Sean Monaghan, who's got a tri- – but the other night in Vegas, uh, there was three face-offs. I mean, he's been terrific. Don't get me wrong here. But there was three face-offs where he got a lot of help from his wingers. And that might be more of a case of like Slavkowski and Anderson got to be ready to jump a little bit more. Now I'll get to your question on the uh, offense. Eric and I talked about this today. Josh Anderson's got to shoot the puck more. <laughs> like I think that Josh Anderson as a shooter has got to get into the mindset of shooting the puck, shoot the puck, and then follow it to the net. He's big, he's powerful, he's hungry. He, when, when he's trying to make plays with the puck, I, I, I think it, 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 it takes him out of his greatest strengths. Newhook's crafty. I think Newhook can get the puck to those guys in the right spots, We've talked about Slavkovsky. You know, Slavkovsky, like, let's call it what it is. He is developing in the NHL. There are going to be nights when he looks comfortable, and there's going to be nights when he doesn't. And that's the Montreal Canadiens, whether we think it's the right thing or the wrong thing or whatever, that's the path they're on with Slavkovsky. So you're going to have a little bit of this kind of, oh, they're not scoring. But that, that team on Monday night generated a lot of chances. And, and Josh Anderson had a number of chances. I, I want to see Josh shoot it. I want to see him shoot it and then drive the net. I think that'll open up some more opportunities, not just for him, but for his linemates as well.
3: Eric, you've been covering the Canadians for a long time. Uh, and you know what a lot of people are going to be watching out for tomorrow night, right? At the end of the night, they're going to see how many points Slavkovsky put up and how many points Logan Cooley put up. And then it's gonna start all over again. And I hope for Slavkovsky that if he's gonna start putting up points, it's gonna be tomorrow night in Arizona. Because if he has a night where he doesn't put any, and it's 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 too bad we're talking this way because the kid is only 19 years old and he obviously doesn't need this pressure. But let's be honest, that's what members of the, a lot of members of the media are gonna talk about because it's it's a subject that sells, right? If Slavkovsky tomorrow night doesn't put up points and Logan Cooley does, that's where you're
6: gonna hear on the air all day. Yeah, well, listen, it's a subject that, that you're going to hear on the air every day because that's what the fans are going to be cued into also, and we're keyed in on what the fans are interested in. And you know what? Uh, fair, unfair, 19 years old, 18 years old, it really doesn't matter. You're, you're a man playing in the NHL. Once you're there, that's how you're treated. This is not a, a boys' league. It's a men's league, and these guys know what comes with that territory, and they won't be the first two players – compared to each other over eras and that's part of the gig especially if you're a first overall pick and i just want to remind people in montreal like jack hughes never went to the ahl and most people thought in his first year and even part of his second year before he got hurt that he was too undersized to play in the nhl at his age even though his skill was eye-popping and incredible and he could produce points Uh Alexi Lafreniere, people are giving up on already. Uh Joe Thornton, if you go back to a guy who just retired, you know, I think Jeff Gordon brought this up. He had what was it, five points in his first season. He played, I remember looking at it myself because this was a topic with Yasperi Kakaniami in Montreal, and look what he's doing right now in Carolina. Uh, like Joe Thornton, his first season, not only was he scratched a bunch, he played under eight minutes like 30 times or something like that like i can't i can't remember specifically what it was but the bottom line is like just let these guys play and and they're they're in the situation they're in and yes it's going to be overwhelming at times it's going to be difficult it's going to be a lot of pressure but they're going to grow from it if they have the character to grow and One of the big reasons why they drafted this kid is his character, Slavkovsky, I'm talking about. So I just think, yeah, if it ends up being a story about Cooley and Slavkovsky tomorrow, that's what it's going to be. And I might write about it. Yeah.
3: Eric, you gave me some great (laughs) examples. Eric, you gave me some great examples, though, of players who broke into the National Hockey League at 18 years of age. And they didn't have to go to the American Hockey League. But for every example that you can give me, as you're aware, I can give you examples of players who did go to the American Hockey yeah. League now or, or 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 stayed an extra year. Not a year. lot of first
6: overall picks, though.
3: No, not a lot of first overall picks, but you know, it, it you know, uh you can make the argument that maybe Slavkowski shouldn't have been a one overall. So, for example, the last time I spoke with with Craig, I believe, Craig said, and Craig you'll correct me if I'm wrong that In his ideal world, he would have kept Slavkoski in Finland for one more season and then sent him to the World Juniors. Simo Snake Snakeboisvert was on the podcast last night, and he brought up an interesting name. And the name that he brought up, Craig, was the name of Mikko Rantanen. And I think it's a very interesting name because when Slavkoski was drafted, they asked him, who is your NHL comparable? Or who do you see yourself as? And who would you like to be? And he said, Mikko Rantanen. Well, Mikko Rantanen... Um, also played in Finland before playing in the National Hockey League. Also played in Finland, ironically, actually also played for TPS Turku. Was also a six foot four winger who shoots left. And Rantanen had three seasons in Finland as a sixteen year old, a seventeen year old, and played as an eighteen year old in Finland instead of playing in the National Hockey League. When he got to the National Hockey League um, at age nineteen, he played nine games and then was sent down to play the next 56 with the San Antonio Rampage and the American Hockey League. And Rantanen's career has been unbelievable in Colorado, playing alongside Nathan McKinnon, of course, and you're seeing a progression all the time. So, Craig, as much as Craig, uh, Eric gave examples that would support staying in the National Hockey League, here's a great example of a player who stayed one more year in Finland the way you would have liked and played some games at the American Hockey League level. And he's doing great.
4: So as I, I, when I was talking earlier in, in, in our conversation, I mentioned that the Montreal Canadiens are fully aware of what they're doing with Slavkovsky. And like I said, we can agree with it or disagree with it or say I prefer a different pathway. And, and that's fine. So, so they're, they, they, obviously they're committed to this, to this point in time. They've shown that. They've shown an unwavering commitment. But what it does, it's great to say we're going to help you develop here. But one of the things that ends up happening with young players is the more you're playing in the best league on the planet, and, and this is the NHL, and to Eric's point, you know what, you're the first overall picker in the NHL. This is what goes with the territory. And, and that's what everybody has to deal with, the Montreal Canadiens management, the coaching, and your Islep But what ends up happening is the longer you go without having success – the harder it becomes to find success. And that's the fear I have with Uri Slavkowski. That's the fear I have with any young player. It's that the league is hard. And right now, you know, you watch Yuri play, and, and he's green. He's, he's green. And, and there's nothing wrong with being green at this age. But and, and they can talk to him every day. But when you're not having success as a player, and Yuri and knows what success looks like, you can hear it every day how much we believe in you. Your inner belief is gone. And that's what the Montreal Canadiens, in my view, have to be cognizant of. That's, Tony, to your that's where I think NHL teams have failed players again and again and again and again. And we'll be talking about this in five years' time about other teams. do it. I don't know why, but it happens. But you, the players are the ones who lose confidence, and then they don't have success. And then we all wake up and go, well, geez, you didn't pan out. Well, okay, I think is a really good player. But he's not ready for the NHL, in my view. I'd have him so far out of Montreal, out of the spotlight there, just because of what Eric said. The demands, the spotlight, what goes with it, I wouldn't have him anywhere near Montreal right now.
6: I just want, I just want to chime in here and just say, first of all, I'm not against your Slavkovsky spending time in the AHL. Uh, if you want to get him far removed from the spotlight in Montreal, the unfortunate part of the situation for the Canadians is that Laval is a that far out of the way and the spotlight can still be pretty intense if he ends up on an AHL stint with that team in this market because it's still the same media covering him it's still the same fan base watching him and from real up close um could it be beneficial for him eventually yes one thing I like and Craig mentioned this the Montreal Canadiens know exactly what their plan is whether you agree with it or not One thing I like about the way they've handled it is they've kept Slavkovsky in the loop with that plan all the way along, but they've tried to manage his own personal expectations in terms of what he's all about. Tony, you brought up Mikko Rantanen, very good point you made in terms of the value of getting a little bit of experience in the AHL. You talked about the fact that he played with Nathan McKinnon. Now, Nathan McKinnon had respectable numbers as a rookie in the NHL. It took him four seasons before he became the player that people expected to see. And that's the only thing that I'm trying to make as a point here on Slavkovsky. It takes time, whether they develop in the AHL or the NHL, whether the first overall pick, the third overall pick, or the eighth overall pick, it doesn't really matter. It takes time for these kids to realize their potential. There have been countless examples. Kirby Dock is an excellent one right away, right off the hop in terms of a third overall pick with tons of expectations. who never went to the AHL in the nhl he had three somewhat underwhelming seasons with chicago he had a pretty strong first one with montreal and looked like he was ready in the fourth one in his fourth sorry in his fifth season like nathan mckinnon to take that next step so people one of the reasons why i think craig is saying i'd have him so far out of the spotlight in montreal is because that spotlight is so scorching at a point where even if Slavkovsky himself understands what the internal expectations are and is managing his own expectations, even if the Canadians know what they are and they're managing their own expectations, the fans and the media are dissecting this just like we are right now on a daily, forget daily, on a minute-to-minute basis. So it, I understand the sentiment, and I, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not opposed to the idea of this kid spending some time down there. Maxim yeah, Can I just
4: say something, Tony, real course, quick? Really well can. said. Really well said, Eric about, you know, his internal expectations, he is in the spotlight. and There's nothing he can do about that. That And everybody's going to look at it. Where, what do you think about your – I mean, I talked to a, uh, an Arizona reporter today. He's asking me about Slepkovsky because Cooley went third overall. <laughs> like, the story is Cooley, Slepkovsky. Right? And, like, you know, Brian Mudrick. Uh, we're we're going to have uh, Bill Armstrong on uh, during one of the intermissions on Thursday night. And one of the questions is what, what was your thought process taking Logan Cooley? <laughs> it's there.
6: <laughs> yeah. That's all I can not not know. Him.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And uh well, uh, you're right about that. But you know what I think's interesting that whole scenario, by the way, is that um is that um Andre Tourigny knew Shane Wright pretty well. And uh and Arizona drafted Logan Cooley and passed on Shane Wright. And I wonder if that had anything to do with it. Uh, Okay, but anyway, um, Eric, the one thing, though, when you brought up Nathan McKinnon, and I'd love to get your take on this, guys, is that it took Nathan McKinnon four years to become Nathan McKinnon in the National Hockey League, because we know that the National Hockey League is the next step, and it's the best league in the world and the fastest league in the world, and especially at the center ice position, and he's going up against superstars, and you know, you gain experience and then you get better and better. But McKinnon didn't have to work on the things that Slavkowski has to work on. And and that's why I'm wondering now if the National Hockey League really is the best place for Slavkowski to learn these things. Because McKinnon can process the game very, very fast upstairs And this has been my take all along with Slavkowski, and I'm not going to waver from it, is that we all know what his strengths are, right? He's big, he's strong, and when he skates, he carves up the ice. And, you know, when he was playing against players that were smaller than him, you know, you put one shoulder down, you go down the wing, and you go to the net and all that stuff. But because he relied on that so much, he didn't have to rely on him processing the game or the hockey IQ part of it. Now he has to, and I'm wondering if that's what he has to work on the most. Is that part of it? Is it in the National Hockey League that it's going to get better or at the American Hockey League where
6: he would have more time to make these decisions? You're asking the best question right now because you're getting inside the Canadian's thought process on why he is in the NHL. Because if the idea to send him to the AHL is really to get him the puck touches, get him the confidence, boost his confidence so he can go down there and dangle guys and score goals and do the things that he was used to doing in slovakia and in finland before coming to montreal then absolutely send him there get him those touches get him those goals get him feeling good about himself if there is a value in that and they believe that value supersedes why they have him in the nhl right now and by all means make that move but the reason they have him in the NHL right now is because they don't believe he's going to learn to process the game at NHL speed in the AHL and that the going down there and being able to dangle guys with his and he has incredible skill by the way people I don't even think realize to what extent his skill is there because it hasn't been displayed as often as they'd like to see in the National Hockey League at this stage but when it comes to processing the game if he goes down and starts to get back into those old habits of what brought him to the nhl i think he loses a bit on the development side of what he wants to get to in terms of processing the game making his reads and and let's not forget like the progress that he made in training camp through the first roughly five to six games of the season before the last three looked like he was a little bit lost out there he was having the puck on his stick a lot more frequently than we saw last year there has been progress here it's so easily blurred by the point totals and. The point totals would be different if josh anderson had three goals this year instead of zero and alex newick wasn't hitting the post every time he shot the puck so That's keep true things too. in perspective but like you you asked a great question tony because the value of sending him to the american hockey league is a confidence thing but if it's about development and development of what he needs to do to in order to become and there's one thing and craig is going to take off on this i know he will there is one thing that it doesn't matter if it's in the AHL, the NHL, the, I, the defunct IHL, or in Europe. The one thing that is going to take time, no matter where he is, is growing into his body and learning how to use it. That is going to take time, no matter where he is. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50%
3: off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
4: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage... Uh, Totally true, and you're right. I mean, I call it the natural laws of maturity—physical, mental, and emotional. You can't speed them up, and every player goes at a different rate. You know, Tony, I'll take you back in time uh, to—we had a player in Dallas, Yeri Lettman, and he—he had—he'd been great. He played in TPS, you know, uh, coincidentally, same place as Kosky. We brought him over. Yeri was 22 when we brought him over. And uh, he'd had all kinds of success, won a world championship, was great. You know, anyway, he's down playing in Dallas, and, you know, he's ready. He's come over, and he was struggling. And I we, we sent him down to the American Hockey League, or to the IHL at that time, because Bob, Bob Ganey was coaching, and, Bob, you know, you know, you know know we need a little bit more out of him offensively. We sent him down. We finally got to him, and, and that wasn't the plan for him. He went to Milwaukee. I happened to be at the game in Milwaukee. He, he was the best player on the ice. Wasn't even close. He scored a goal. That was his only game he played in the, in the IHL. <laughs> and after he came back up, so sometimes you know the confidence part of it. it it's not so much you gotta you gotta dispatch him there and say see you in three months. I don't know when the confidence and, and and you just pick a sp- and you could pick a spot to do it and then you you monitor it and sometimes. You know, just a little bit of confidence helps with that other part. And to Eric's point, like, and you're trying to get players as they move to the best league in in, in the world to try to get into those NHL habits. And that's an important part of growth and development for young players. But, you know, they might be able to find a time where – you know okay you know what you're working on this now go down there get some puck touches and maybe it's a for yari letton it was that obvious in one game he never played another game in the minors and he yeah. came it was amazing to watch now he was 22 but it was amazing to watch just that confidence that he all of a sudden oh i can score okay i'm okay and he took it right back to dallas now, it's funny
3: it's funny you say that because Yuri Lenin was very much a Bob Gainey kind of player. And Bob Gainey <laughs> wouldn't have to provide offense to prove his worth when he was playing with the Montreal Canadiens, right? Uh, but every now and then he would give you a big goal or two. But Yuri Lenin, like Bob Gainey, was a great 200 foot hockey player.
4: Oh,
6: can we, can we just three times Selkie Trophy, trophy winner? <laughs> yeah. Criminal, criminal that he's the last winger to win the Selkie Trophy. And I agree. Honestly, Eric. He- I agree. Like now, Bergeron has stepped aside deservedly, taking his retirement. There's a couple of wingers in the game who are very, very worthy of winning that trophy. And one of them was Bergeron's linemate and Brad Marchand. Uh, I, I think yep. that's a guy who could have won the Selkie a, a lot of the years that Bergeron did. We, we we started to plug faceoff percentage as such a key factor in this. Uh, the other guy's Mitch Marner. Like he, yep. he's the best penalty killing forward in the NHL. But Yuri Lettenin, that's what it makes me. He was, I mean, he
4: was an unbelievable
6: player, unbelievable.
4: But even though Tony, just quickly, like yeah, Yeri, y- y- Yeri was wasn't about scoring. Like so Yeri was just like in, in that, do I belong? Do I not belong? Am I sure of myself? Am I not sure of myself? He he just needed to get kind of his his, his you know, I'll use a Bob Gaineyism. He he needed to tighten up his laces and, and just play. And the one game did it. Now we we, we didn't plan on one game. We we just go down and play. But it was so obvious after that one game. But you know, and I, I think that there like there might be opportunities. But to Eric's point, like Montreal knows what they're doing, and you're trying to keep your finger on the pulse of your eyes Uri's uh, confidence, and, and and that's that becomes important.
3: Yeah, it's uh, you're right though. When you guys talk about Patrice Bergeron retiring, it's going to give others a chance to win it. I think Nico Hischer has been a candidate a couple of years in a row now, and he hasn't been able to win yep. it. So he's put up some pretty good seasons himself. Elias Lindholm as
4: well, Alexander Barkov. Barkov's going to
6: be dominant in that category for, for the next while.
4: Yeah. I, can, and, can I you, you? Stay up late and watch the guy that plays out in Vancouver because he's going to be in that mix too, Elias Patterson. Yeah.
3: Yeah, uh, is he on fire or what this year? He's on he's really on fire. I'm very happy yeah. I have him on my fantasy
4: team. Gonna- <laughs> he had 100 <laughs> points last year, Tony.
3: <laughs> I I don't know. You you just struck a nerve with the whole fantasy thing. I got I got asked to be part of a pool this year and 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 uh, I'm usually all for those pools where you just take your players and at the end of the year their points is their points. Anyway, we're about 5 weeks in or 6 weeks in and I just found out that you have to drop players, bring up players, drop what players. You got managed, Hey, you got to be a manager. I, I don't have you're time for this. I understand this, but I, I, I'm not 15 years old anymore. I don't have time for this. Bring up players, drop players, bring players, drop. Anyway, I'll long story short. I'm not doing well in my pool. No, uh, so lose. anyway, if anyone wants to buy my, uh, my pool, you, you got it. I'll give you my share. Uh, Caden Gooley is plus eight. He's plus eight. He's got the best plus minus on the team. He averages 20 minutes per game. Uh, When was it? The other night, he was like flying, like absolutely flying. Did he play 26 minutes in Vegas? I think he played 26 minutes. He was unreal. Craig, when the Canadians drafted Caden Gooley, a lot of people who knew him told me they just drafted a heck of a stay-at-home defenseman. A lot of people told me they drafted a real leader a lot of people told me he's a top three guy and will be for the next 15 years in the National Hockey League. What is his ceiling?
4: Number one, pillar defenseman. Simply put. I mean, all the things you just said he was rejected as, he's all of those things. He, he, he's, a, he's an excellent two-way defenseman. He's a top three defenseman. He, he's a guy that can shut down the opponents. But he, he his game is, is developing in every year. And that's why I don't hesitate in saying the, a number one pillar defenseman. A number one pillar defenseman. That's what that's what he his ceiling is in my view.
6: I think Canadians fans have been crying for years about that trade that left Ryan McDonough outside of Montreal. If you like Ryan McDonough, you're gonna like Caden Gooley yep. for the rest of his career. Like, Eric, and honestly, Eric. I actually. I asked Gooley, uh, you know, who he who he really admires in the league and wants to model his game after. That was one player he mentioned. The other was Jacob Slavin. And I'm going to put a very bold statement out there right now because I think the world of Jacob Slavin as a player, I think Caden Gouley is going to be just as good as that player.
3: Eric, what do you think of the fact that Matheson has been on the first wave of the power play and Jack Eye on the second? we are We're waiting to see – if Ghouli can bring some offense to his game, we are seeing flashes of that where we're where we're talking about his potential right now. And Craig just said number one pillar defenseman. A lot of people believe that he could end up putting up points at the National Hockey League level. He could probably end up being a point every other game as a defenseman. Clearly, it will help him if he's on the power play, put up those points. Your thoughts on him not seeing the ice on the power play?
6: I think just wait because honestly his value to the penalty kill is enormous and he's put an immediate boost uh, on the penalty kill the way he's playing there. The other thing I'd say is uh, the power play, which is such a focal point in Montreal, whether it's going good or bad, has scored in I think five of the last six games and is hovering at 20%, which is more than respectable considering the elements and also the familiarity factor. Like this is a young team. It's the third youngest team in the NHL. Yes, a lot of these guys were here last year and that's helped them become a bit better on the power play this year familiarity is the key for for a power play that operates well and that's why tampa was great for years chicago great for years before that all that stuff so i think Kaden Gooley will get there i think he will be used on the power play at times um, but right now is it a necessity no because what he's giving you in every other situation is essential but like craig said if you see him as a future number one there's nothing there's no situation he won't be put in Guys,
4: so appreciate. Uh, your time. Uh, let me just add. Let me just add one more thing here, Tony. To, yeah. to Eric's point, right? Like the power play is humming along. It, it, it looks good, and 20%. so that yeah. W- w- which I mean, we talked about the power play a couple weeks ago, and I said, hey, that's on Alex. Alex is wow. gonna use why, the players that's why he's why I'm
3: Going, Craig, because you, you, yeah. you, you gave the <laughs> yeah, wake up yeah.
4: call. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I- Alex knows when something's working and when it's not. I, I know that about Alex Burroughs. Uh, but when you got, so the power play is going well. You got familiarity on it, right? And so, you know, j- just keep working with that. And, and there's going to, Caden's going to get an opportunity there. There's no question about it because he's going to create his own opportunity. And then we can just see what unfolds. I think one of the things I really like about Jack Eye on the power play is the shot. And, I, and one of the things I've, like, I've noticed with Arbor this year I, I want to see him use the shot more. He seems to be trying to finesse it a little bit. Just sh- shoot it and, you know, get it in there. He's got the ability to get it through traffic and everything, but the power play is going good. So, you know, and right now, and, and it would be one thing if you're getting the percentages and you're going, oh, well, the numbers are good, but it doesn't look good. The power play looks good. <laughs> Guys,
3: in 30 seconds, because it happened earlier today, and we're going to rapid fire here, right? My first question is going to be, Pierre Dorian relieved of his duties, justified or not, my second question is going to be: Who's the next general manager of the Ottawa
6: Senators? Eric, you go first. Justified, most smokescreen kind of story possible. I don't think. I think this first round pick was just the opportunity to sign off on it. To be honest with you, like this was going to happen. Going back in time, as soon as Lauer was taking over and Stalos was coming in. Um, you know, Dorian was kind of on borrowed time. And I, I think, you know, you look at the body of work, he's done some good things in a vacuum, the, the entire body of work. Nobody lasts eternally in this league in that position. And I think he, he was around his due date here. So, and I think the GM will be Steos for now. And they better be very extensive on how they decide who the next person will be that goes underneath Steos.
4: Listen, I think it's justified eight years Pierre was there. You know, in the meeting that Pierre and Michael Anlauer had on Tuesday night, Michael Anlauer says, when you make such an egregious error, you know, it should cost you your job. And, you know, we could make any other case for it. But bottom line is, you know, that that's that's why Pierre agreed to, to part ways. Uh, I think Steve staos is a general manager. I think the key for Steve now is who's he going to surround himself with? You know, he, he Steve's a really sharp guy. He he he's he knows what uh, what success looks like. He knows what it tastes like. He knows what it like feels like, and he he was brought in here to lead the hockey group. And I think in, 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 he will do that. And I think it'll be interesting to see how he surrounds himself. I think that you'll see him be the president and the general manager. And I think that he, he is absolutely the right guy to do that. But he's going to need some some people around him that can help him uh, you know, in, in this new role and, and, and do some of the other duties required of it. But I, I have no doubt that Steve uh, is the guy, and him and Mike Landlauer have had a record of success. And I think that there's no reason for him to believe that that won't find uh, a similar path in Ottawa.
3: Guys, thank you so much. Have a great night. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. Pleasure. All right. There you have it. Craig Button of TSN and Eric Engels of Sportsnet. That was a real treat, huh, guys Uh, and girls watching? Uh, When are you going to get the opportunity to see Craig and Eric on the same panel, huh? When are you going to get the opportunity to see Craig and Eric on the same panel? Uh, I don't know. I I I I thought that was I thought that was really, really something. All right. Okay. Um, on that note, it is uh 1049. And if you you know, if you want to give me a call, we will open up the phone lines at 188-5856, 188-585-7425. And uh if you uh don't want to give me a call, but you want to send over a uh uh, a message, a question, and stuff like that. We can get to you as well. No problem at all. We can do that as well. All right. So why don't we do that? And yellow, Sammy, uh, get the questions over here and uh, put them up, and we can get to the phone lines once again. I see Stefan in Quebec City is on the YouTube chat. Uh, St- Steve Steos. Interesting enough, both of them say that uh, they see him being the general man. They see him being the general manager of the. Uh, Ottawa Senators, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Peter Chiarelli. I wouldn't be surprised if Peter Chiarelli surrounds Steve Stales. If Peter Chiarelli does surround Steve Stales, I wouldn't be surprised if Claude Julien, who's uh, from the Gatineau area, of course, ends up becoming the head coach of the Ottawa Senators. Some are talking about uh, Matthew Darsh. Matthew Darsh has uh, as general manager, he has a relationship, of course, with Michael Anlauer as well, because he played uh, in Hamilton when Anlauer owned the team. Um, so, uh, you know, these are these are names that are coming up there. But, you know, Pierre Dorian, when you've been there for that long and you miss the playoffs all the time, in the last month, he almost lost a couple of prospects on waivers uh, for nothing. And now you end up, your know, first-round pick. And this is a team that's, you know, we don't even know if they're going to make the playoffs this year, but yet they're up against the cap and there's not much flexibility. Uh, you saw it coming. And as Eric said, when Michael Anlauer bought the team, you just knew that he was going to put his people in the right, you know, the first opportunity he got. Hey, it's unbelievable how um, how honest and genuine Anlauer was today, right? You can tell he wasn't very happy with uh, NHL commissioner Gary Bettman When he basically said, you know, uh, he basically said, translation, you know, I wish I would have known about a player and the gambling situation. And I wish I would have known about this punishment of the first round pick before I bought the team. I mean, the guy just bought the team for $950 million. And this is what he inherits. And you could tell he was upset today when he talked about it. He's like, okay, well, in the last 30 days, I had uh, two injuries. I had uh player with the gambling thing. I had, uh, I had, um, you know, now losing the first round pick, three losses in a row, wasn't a happy guy, Michael Anlauer. But I I loved the fact that he wasn't, he wasn't scared to say what he thought. He just said it. And I hope he's going to continue to be that way, but he probably won't because I would imagine the league will probably pick up the phone and give him a call and say, what are you doing? And then he'll probably tell them off because you can tell today he wasn't happy. Let's take your calls. by Playground. Let's get to your calls at one 585 7425 one 585 SICK! Your calls are toll-free, so don't worry about it. There are no long-distance charges if you're not calling me uh, from Montreal. Louis! Is it Louis or Louis-Philippe?
1: Ah, Louis-Philippe. It's Louis-Philippe. LP, how are
3: you? LP, how are you? Where are you calling me from?
1: I call from Houston, but I'm wow. a, I'm a Sherbrooke
3: Ah, okay. So, uh, what do you uh, uh, life brought you to Houston some time ago, or are you just there for a couple of days? What's the story here?
1: No, yeah, I live here. I'm just uh, finished school, and I, I had an opportunity to move down here and decided to you know, chase the American dream.
3: Ah, uh, out you okay, school. I
1: miss, I miss Montreal. So I miss Montreal, my man.
3: You uh, you finished school and you had an opportunity, which means. Uh, you did your studies in uh, in the States. Uh, you started networking, and uh, you got a huge opportunity in Houston, and you're making a lot more money than you would make here, and that's the decision you took. Am I right? Close enough, yes. I, Close I, enough, I, okay. I I it.
1: My schooling in Montreal. But you know what? Uh, the, the, the money's great, but, you, again, Canada, there's something about it you can't. Uh, you you're, can't right, you're
3: right about that. You're right about that. All the best to you, my man. What's on your mind?
1: Hey, uh, first off, um, you know, great show with uh, the guests tonight, Eric. I really
3: enjoyed it. I, uh, I hope I hope others watching did as well. It was uh, th- there's a lot of information coming there.
1: Something about the moderation was just top notch. Hey, um, really excited. I, I'm I'm calling for uh, I've got a question, but right before I dive in, quick personal favor. Tomorrow, I'm taking sure. my uh, my five year old for her first Canadian game in Arizona. We're flying over. She doesn't know.
2: Oh, you cool.
1: wish her a happy game because uh, I'm going to play this for
3: her tomorrow. She's going to get all crazy. She listens to you every day in the car. Of, of course. What's her name? Olivia. <laughs> Olivia. She's a big Canadians fan or not?
1: She is, although she likes to get under my skin and cheer for the opposing team.
3: <laughs> all right. Okay. So you're going just you and her to the game?
1: Uh, my sister's going to meet us there. We're uh, We're kind of a family all over the place.
3: All right. Your sister's name is? Sarah, Sarah. All right. Okay. Let's do this right now. Hi, Olivia. This is Hi. Tony Marinero from the sick podcast. Your dad, Louis Philippe tells me that you're going to be going to the hockey game between the Montreal Canadians and the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, you're going to be going with your dad and with your aunt, Sarah. It sounds like you're a lucky girl and it sounds like they're pretty lucky to have you in their lives as well. I know you love the Montreal Canadiens. I can't guarantee you a win, but I will tell you this. Marty St. Louis teams play with a lot of passion. I know you're going to be entertained, and hopefully Cole Caulfield scores a goal for you because when Cole scores them, they're usually pretty nice. Have a great time at the game, Olivia. I'm Tony Marinero from the Sick Podcast, and I'm one of your best friends in the entire world. You call me anytime. You love the Habs. I love the Habs. Go Habs, go! The smoke show is for you. <laughs> Great energy, thanks so much. You're very welcome. All right, okay, let's continue now. Let's pick up where we left off. What's going on?
1: Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, uh, you know, lots of cool stuff to talk about the Habs, but um, uh, the the Senators' stuff today is really interesting. You know, that Ann Lauer press conference uh, was was <laughs> refreshing. My question to you is: uh, Do you think, uh, you know, first of all, do you think Get Bettman's power is at its peak or is it waning? And uh, do you think that he Adlauer may be kind of the uh, might be ushering in a new attitude, uh, you know, kind of the attitude era of owners, you know, kind of.
3: Yeah. You know, no, you know? listen, I, I just think he's a guy that's been, uh, Ann Lauer is that's been involved in the game and around the game and invested in the game and in teams. And he was a part owner of the Montreal Canadians. He had a share that, by the way, he sold at a value of the Canadians being valued at around, uh, what was it? Uh, 2.5 billion dollars, which is pretty cool. But I just think that Ann Lauer, uh, it was his way of saying Gary, uh, after, all the time that I've been involved in the league and all the time that we've known each other, I deserved for you to be transparent with me. I just shelled out $950 million on a team and you withheld this information from me. And I think that's really cheap on your part. And I'm not happy and I'm disappointed in you and I'm pissed off. And you know what? I'm going to tell everybody how I feel. And that's exactly what he did. Now, as for Gary Bettman and you know um, him running the league, basically, and um, you know he's he's been the commissioner of the National Hockey League since 1993 when the Canadians won the Cup. That's when he's been at it for 30 years, and uh-huh. uh, you know I, I know the I know the owners like him because you know the the league makes money and they make money. But I don't see how much longer he can do this, to tell you the truth. Uh, he's in his early 70s, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if he has any intention of walking away or if he's going to be replaced at one point, but I would be willing to say that, what, three, four more years, max? Not more than that, I would yeah. think. Yeah. You know?
1: Long live the king. The king is dead,
3: huh? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Louis, uh, that Louis, was...
1: Uh, uh, thanks for Thanks for the great... You you're very,
3: you're very welcome. You're very welcome. And, uh, and, uh, have a good time with, uh, Olivia and, uh, and your sister, Sarah tomorrow. All right. Cheers, my man. All right. There you have it. Louis Philippe in Houston. That was a lot of fun. Hopefully, uh, Olivia gets a kick out of that. when she watches it tomorrow morning. That'll be good. Where are we going now? We are going to AJ in Edmonton.
5: AJ. Hey, Tony, great show. Thank you. I appreciate it. What's going on with you, my man? Uh, another night, another night watching your show. And I just, uh, thank you. you know, I've got a few questions uh, building up during the week here, but I'll only ask you one, or, or, I guess uh, with all the success the team is having as of late, yeah, which is, you know, great to see. And I love watching it. I'm a little lost as to what, uh, what's going to happen at the deadline. I mean, if they do get into the playoffs, that kind of goes, you know, maybe against what everybody uh, was kind of, you know, thinking was going to happen. Meaning, you know, they have a few players they're supposed to get rid of, you know, maybe broker a deal for another team. Are they going to be buyers or sellers? I mean, like what? It's a great question, AJ. I know a lot
3: of people are talking about Sean Monahan, who's off to a great start. I mean, right now, after nine games, he's been the Montreal Canadiens' most consistent forward. I think, in terms of playing a two hundred foot game, as good as Caulfield has been, who's leading the team with points. Uh, with 10 in nine games, and Monahan has eight in nine games. But Monaghan is 61% in the face-off circle. Monahan is a plus five, so he's the best face-off percentage on the team. He's the best plus-minus among forwards. Um, and But at the same time, if you listen to what Jeff Gordon and Kent Hughes have said all along, they have a plan, and regardless of where they're going to be in the standings, They're going to do things according to the plan. So if the Canadians are two points out of a playoff spot or hanging on to that final playoff spot, if you're asking me, are the Canadians going to go out and acquire a player and give up a prospect and a first-round pick or whatever in order to get that player to solidify a playoff spot or try and put them over the hump, they're not going to do that. Based on what Gordon and Hughes have been telling us, unless they're pulling a fast one on us, which I don't think they are, they're going to stick to the plan and they're not going to give up grade a prospects or grade a draft choices for immediate help they're not going to do it
5: well i hope not just because you know i think the you know the the, the course that they're on now is is the proper course it's you know it's proving fruitful and it's uh, it's you know paying dividends right now for them in, in certain areas and most areas of all their acquisitions and I mean, I just, uh, I think, you know, just to go around or two and keep the gang together, you know, is, uh, is detrimental to the future, to say the least. I mean, I know you're a big fan of keeping Monahan and extending him. And I kind of heard the different scenarios and whatnot. To be quite yeah, honest with you, I,
3: I'm a fan of keeping I, Monahan I, I, and extending him if it's like a three year deal. Because, I mean, if, think about this, okay? AJ, think about this. Everybody loves Sean Monahan. I don't know if one Montreal Canadiens fan who doesn't love Sean Monahan. He's an honest player. Seems like a great guy. He's a good 200 foot player. He's very, very smart. But if Monahan continues to put up the numbers, and if Monahan continues to show his worth, that Monahan is one of the top three most valuable forwards on the Canadiens. Well, if Nick Suzuki is getting seven point eight seven five million per year, and Cole Caulfield's getting seven Eight five million per year. Well, then Monahan is going to want, or his agent's going to want over six million, and anywhere between six million and just under that amount, right? So, if that ends up being Correct. a three-year deal, I think a lot of people will say, "Okay, no problem," because the Canadians will can need you know they can use an experienced guy like that to help bring the young guys along. But what if all of a sudden he starts asking for a six-year deal because that's going to be the final deal of his career? Would you tie in that amount of money, six plus million dollars, to Sean Monahan if no. it's a six-year deal? I wouldn't. But
5: I, I, would, I still love the player. I would, I would. I would. I would allocate the time. But to be quite honest with you, I think it makes zero sense not to trade him at the deadline. And I'll tell you why. I mean, he's a free agent. Obviously, mm-hmm. he, you could circle back to him at any time. Not you know not to say that he's going to say yeah, but you could, and you and you still have a great chance of getting him, and really getting a first round pick to take his contract, having your own first round pick, then maybe getting at least another first round pick for him, and then you know maybe a fourth first round pick for somebody else on the team. Yeah, that's a lot of currency to go out and 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 get what you need for this team, right? So I mean I, I think it'd be silly just to. I, I don't see them keeping him. I really don't. I think they see the value in 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 what he can bring and and what he will bring and what he will demand at the deadline. And and I think they make the move with him. And I think he knows that. I, but, mentioned, uh, I mentioned I mentioned this.
3: Yes, yeah, Pardon me. I mentioned this to Max Lapierre and Guillaume Latendresse earlier this evening that. Um, the Canadians obviously have Suzuki as their number one centerman, and going into the season, probably thought the Doc would be their number two centerman because they made it clear that they see Doc as a centerman more so than as a winger, and they want to go forward with him as a centerman. Well, I think one of the reasons why they pulled the trigger and they went to get Newhook in a trade is to make Newhook the third line centerman, right? Eventually, end up trading Devorak, and eventually end up trading Monahan and i think they went to get new hook because in their heads in their minds monahan was going to be traded before the deadline that doesn't mean they can't change their mind they obviously can if they believe that they're further along in the process than they probably thought they were but look i can see anything happening here but if monahan signs i this is what i, I what i can't see happening is that if they do sign monahan that he signs a 6 plus you know a 6 a six-year deal or whatever. I I don't see that happen. I would be shocked. To say they would sign him to a three-year deal, I can see that. But even still today, if I was a betting man, I would bet that you know, if he continues to having a great season the way he's having, that they'll trade him before the deadline. AJ, this was a great call. You call me anytime, okay? That's
5: what I was hoping for.
3: Thank you very much, Tony. Thank you, AJ. You call me anytime. I really appreciate you listening to me out of Edmonton. And uh, you know what, uh, that, that, that's it for us. Uh, this, yeah. was a, this was a fun show, uh, a lot of fun. I want to thank once again, La at for partnering up with us. I want to thank Playground for partnering up with us. And I want to thank Energy Transportation Group for also being a fantastic partner. We have great partners on this program, Energy Transportation Group, Playground, and La at TB. Franiello, Sammy, and Juliana at Master Control. They're Cavallaro I'm
2: Marinero. Have a good one. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow The Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Bida TV. Embrace your true nature and Playground, your premier
5: gaming destination.